Certainly thankful once again for the opportunity to be here. Thankful as always for the prayer on my behalf. I've entitled our study of the morning Life Skills. Karen's sister Barbara taught special needs children for over 30 years. And what she said about that experience was, is that while all the other normal kids were learning how to take the test, she had the opportunity to teach these kids life skills. I want to take that idea, that thought, that principle, and I want to apply it to spiritual things this morning. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 7, the Bible says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the Word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now we know that in the context here, the writer is speaking about church leaders. He's talking specifically about elders. And I want to take that and broaden it just a little bit and because certainly it would include elders and I've had the opportunity to be blessed by many elders that have done this very thing for me in my life. But in addition to elders, we've had other people that have taught us these good things. And what these good things are, are life skills. They have taught us how to live our life. And what the writer of Hebrews encourages us to do is look at the results of a person's choices in life and pattern our choices after that. And that's how we learn these life skills, if you will. He says to imitate their faith. You know, as we think about that, and we think about the people that have influenced us in our life, our parents and elders and other people at church, we look at their life and we look at the results of their life and we see how to raise our children. We see how to have a good marriage. We see how to have a happy life. And the reason we see those things is because of the life skills that we learn from them. The way to make good choices in our life. In James chapter 3 and verse 13, James says, Who is a wise man? Who has wisdom? It's the person that's endued with not or who is the person that is endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. And we understand this word conversation in the New King James or in the King James Version is talking about our way of life. It's the same thing that the writer of Hebrews was talking about. Their way of life, their conversation. And so what James says is if you want to be a wise person, then you're going to make choices that reflect that wisdom. And it's going to show in your conversation or in your way of life. So what are these life skills? I think I've got eight that I want to go through with you this morning, and there's dozens and dozens of more. And my goal is not to say everything 
that needs to be said. I, I can't do that. My goal today is to get you to think about these ideas and expand these ideas and take these ideas home with you and begin to practice these things in your life. And it will transform your life. The first one we want to look at is the idea of forgiveness. And we know we're supposed to be a forgiving people. That's not a new idea. We know what the Bible says in Colossians 3 and verse 13. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. We're supposed to forbear and forgive. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. When we have the opportunity to forgive somebody, do we remember that we're forgiven? Or are we so, so tore up with our offense that we forget to remember that? I think that's exactly what happens to us all too frequently. And forgiveness is a life skill. It's something that has to be learned. It's something that has to be practiced. When you think about skills, what comes to your mind? Well, there's all kinds of ways we use that word. You think about learning to play a sport or learning to play a game. You practice those skills, don't we? Well, it's the same thing here. We've got to practice these spiritual skills. And we've got to remember when it's time to do it, that that's what we're going to do. That's the choice we're going to make. We're going to choose to forgive. Matthew 18 says, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seven, seventy times seven. And it's abundantly clear that, that Peter was looking for a number. And Je so Jesus gives him 490. That's not the point, is it? The point is, when we're given the opportunity to forgive, we're, we need to do that. The other point about this, these verses that I want to make is that when we forgive somebody, and they come back, as Jesus describes here, and it happens again, do we go back to the first one and bring that one up? Or what about when we get to 400? We're going to forgive somebody for the 400th time. Do we go back and remember the 399 times that we've already done it? That's not what forgiveness is. These are my words. But we know that forgiveness doesn't mean that you're saying what happened is okay. That's not what it means. It means that you turn that offense over to God. God's the righteous judge. He can fix all of those things. 
So you turn it over to God and move on. And when you do that, you make a commitment to stop bringing it up. You stop bringing it up to the offender. You stop bringing it up to everybody else. And then eventually you can stop bringing it up to yourself. But till you do the first two, you can't stop bringing it up to yourself. Somebody, I, I don't recall who, but somebody used the poison illustration recently in a sermon. And it's the perfect illustration because not forgiving somebody is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to get sick. We hang on to those things and it poisons us, not the other person. We must learn to practice forgiveness. 1 Peter 2 and verse 12, Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good work, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Our world has become increasingly difficult to live in in an honest fashion. We see it at every turn. The opportunity to be dishonest. And you're constantly put in the position to be dishonest. And you'll get ahead if you can do that. At least that's what we're told. It's what we're led to believe. But that's not what the Bible teaches us. Now, he uses the term Gentiles here. He's talking about living a life of good example to those that are not in the church. And that's our test, people. When we have these opportunities to be dishonest and get ahead, we're flunking the test if we can't be honest. It's a life skill. Learn to be honest. It means tell the truth. It means don't be deceitful. Resist the temptation. Find the way of escape. First Timothy 2 and verse 1, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, Intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men. Lewis prayed this in our hearing today. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about praying for those that are in authority, if you will. He says for kings and for all that are in authority. Why? What is it that we need to pray for? So that we may be may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Have we thought about that? Do we pray for that? That's what he's talking about. He gives us the specific things that we need to be praying for here. That we can be honest in our dealings with people. And live a quiet and peaceable life. 
the older I get, the more I desire that. And the more elusive it seems to be. We need to learn to be content. Benny talked about covetousness Wednesday night. In Hebrews 13 in verse 5, he said, Let your conversation be without covetousness. There's that word conversation. That Your way of life, the way you live, needs to be free of covetousness. And be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And we forget that. That just goes right out the window. We think we have to take care of ourselves, And that's the devil working his way into our thought patterns and into the choices that we make. And we're not content. And we mask it with, well, I'm, I'm just taking care of business. Maybe. All too often, it's not just taking care of business, it's covetousness. It's not being content with the things that God has given you. And it'll make you miserable. It makes us miserable to not be content. In Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned. It didn't just come to him. You know, the Apostle Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit. But he had to learn to be content. And that's the challenge for you and I today. It's a life skill. Are we going to acknowledge it as an opportunity and something that will bless us? And we're going to practice contentment? I hope we will. He goes on to say, In whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Whatever his state. And we know Paul was, I don't know if he was in prison when he wrote Philippians, but he was in prison a lot. And he suffered a lot of other things. And we know that he suffered those things. And he says, regardless of what state I'm in, I've learned to be content. Satisfied. Happy. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And that's our challenge today. I don't know that very many of us suffer much need when it comes to this world's things. And yet, we struggle. I struggle with being content. It's a skill that needs to be learned. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 6. Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. Soberness means not drunk. There's a broader way of looking at soberness, it means serious, recognizing the serious nature of 
our life choices, if you will. He mentions specifically here the idea of drunkenness. And he says those that are drunk typically do it at night. He tells us as Christians to watch and be sober. I don't know who, who might have saw this, but uh, this past week in Lubbock, there was allegedly a young woman driving impaired, and she ran over a guy on a bicycle and killed him. It was at night. Is that what we want in our life? Do you think she got up that day thinking, I'm going to get drunk and go run over that guy and kill him? No, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's not what she thought. That wasn't the plan. But she didn't practice soberness. And it's just one example of thousands and millions. People do not make good choices when they're not sober. That's the nature of not being sober. That's the point of wanting to be drunk. Titus chapter 2, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, that the aged women be not given to much wine. I know I'm not reading all of this. But do, you, do we see what he does here? He speaks to every group, young, old, male, and female, and calls us all to soberness. It's important. It makes a difference. It transforms your life one way or the other. Exhort to be sober-minded. It's not a joke, people. It's not all about fun and games. It's not about getting drunk and forgetting your troubles because all you do is compound your troubles. The exhortation is to soberness. Luke chapter 21, Jesus said, And take heed to yourselves. Pay attention. Are you paying attention? Are we paying attention? Lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life, and so that day come upon you unawares. This word surfeiting... I started trying to figure out what it meant. The word is sometimes translated dissipation. And it basically means this idea to be hopelessly sick. And it refers to a person's desire for that. And the example that was given was the prodigal son. Remember what the Bible said about the prodigal son? 
He went and consumed his substance on what? Righteous living. We have developed such a desire for something that is destructive. It destroys our life. That's what the Lord is warning us about. Take heed. This is the real deal. Luke chapter 12, verse 45. But, and if that servant say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to beat the men servants and maidens, and to eat and drink, and to be drunken. Reckon what we can get by with. Can we drink a little? Not get drunk. I just want to socially drink. We can get by with that, right? I don't know. That's this guy. That's what he was trying to do. When he decided the Lord had delayed his coming, well, I think I can get by with this. And we see where that path led him. Folks, we've got to stop asking, what can I get by with? That's not the right question. But let's ask, what's best? What's best? What's going to get me where I want to be? Soberness. That'll get you there. John chapter 4 and verse 23, Jesus again says, But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. The reason I wanted to put this one in our study today is because I increasingly see these ideas expressed that God's people are not church people. And I'm offended by that. God wants His people to worship. You know, ever since I was a young child, my earliest memories of what people say about church was, go to the church of your choice. And do you know what the result of that is? All of these mainline denominations are absolutely dying out because that's what they taught their children. And if we start teaching our children that God's people are not church people, there won't be any churches left. We'll just all go to the lake and worship or do whatever else it is we want to do. That's not what God wants from us. He wants us to come together and worship and honor and glorify Him. And it's a blessing for us when we do that. And we get accused of being self-righteous when it's the one that wants to go fishing and worship God on the lake that's being self-righteous. 
I'm here because I'm not self-righteous. I'm here because I know I need to be here. And I need God. And I need to be reminded of these things. And I need to remember the Lord and His sacrifice. God wants us to worship Him. And I trust and I pray and I hope, young people, that you'll never forget that. And you may be here today because you have to be. But I hope one day you'll come to realize that this is the best place you could ever hope to be. Philippians 3 and verse 3, For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. The people that are out there saying church is not important, their confidence is in the flesh. Those of us that recognize the importance of spiritual things will make church a priority. Will make worship a priority. Yeah, but I can worship God in the mountains or wherever. Again, reckon what we can get by with. Romans 15 and verse 5, the Bible says, Now the God of patience and consolation grants you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what happens when we come together and we get together. We fellowship with each other. We fellowship with God. We fellowship with Jesus Christ. And we, with one mind and one mouth, glorify God. And you can worship God in the mountains, but you can't do this right here in the mountains if, it's by, if you're by yourself. It's not about where. It's not about where. It's about who. Who are we with and what are we doing? We need to learn to be sincere. We need to be sincere in every aspect of our life. And it's not a trait that you're going to get taught out in the world. You're going to get taught flattery. and You'll have people that will tell you what you want to hear. Instead of what you need to hear. We need to be sincere. We need to be teaching our children to be sincere. It's a life skill. For our rejoicing is this, from 2 Corinthians 1, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world, and more abundantly to youward. Did y'all hear the radio program? Brother Jerry explained the word ward. <laughs> when ward is on the end of the word, it's talking about a direction. In this case, it's you word. It's towards you. And that's what the Apostle Paul says. I had a lifestyle 
that reflected what? Simplicity and godly sincerity. And he did it so they would see him do it and emulate that. And that's what we need to do today. We read earlier where he told us to pray. Pray for our leaders so that we could lead a quiet and peaceable life. A similar concept. Do we want to live in simplicity and godly sincerity? We need to pray for that. And we need to be sincere about the way we handle God's Word. You know, Titus had an excellent study last Sunday morning about Christ, the way Christ viewed Scripture. We find this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, For we are not, Paul says, we are not as many, as so many, peddling the Word of God. I went to the New King James because I like that word peddling because that's exactly what's going on in our world. You just take God's Word and twist it and make it say what you want it to say so you can sell what you're selling. That is not sincerity. But as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God and in Christ. God's Word has meaning. It's not just floating around out there for everybody to decide what they want it to mean. We need to be sincere when we are studying God's Word so that we can take it to heart and not peddle the Word of God like it's, I don't know what. 1 Thessalonians 2, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. And God will judge us. He ultimately will be the one to judge our level of sincerity in the way that we use, have used His Word. And I think that's what Paul's teaching us here. And we don't need to forget that. First Peter 1 and verse 15, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. We're never going to be holy like God. That's not what he says. But we need to have as a goal a holy lifestyle. And that's not complicated. You make the right decision. You make the right choices. And most everybody here knows what the right choice is most of the time. We occasionally run into some conundrums, don't we? But most of the time, we know what the right thing is. It's just not what we want. 
And so we get artful in the way we try to work around these things. We need to have as our goal to be holy. That no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God had not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. That's what God wants for us. If we practice that in our life, God will bless that. And we want the blessings of those that we see that have a successful life, but we don't want to practice holiness. We're never going to get there. I was curious about this word defraud, so I went to the lexicon, and it simply means to take advantage. To take advantage of somebody. That's not being holy. And there's different times in lives where, you know, we have the opportunity to take advantage. By all means, get ahead. Don't defraud people. Don't take advantage. That's not being holy. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. This is important stuff, people. If you want to see the Lord, better figure out how to practice holiness. This is the last one from Thessalonians 4, beginning in verse 9. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you. For ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another, and indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. That's, a, that's an amazing statement. They had this love, brotherly love thing down. He says, you're practicing it, you're doing it. But we beseech you, brethren, that you increase more and more. Don't ever be satisfied. When it comes to these good things, you can't overdo it. You can't have too much brotherly love. He says abound more and more. And then he says this, And that you study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. We live in a world in a lot of ways that is becoming void of any kind of work ethic. That's not the Christian way. We need to have a strong work ethic. Now, we're different places in life. We have retired people that probably are not able to work like they used to. They still have work to do. We still have a lot of people that are working age. We have kids that have work to do as well. We need to have a work ethic.
2 Thessalonians 3, verse 10. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. And this is, we see this constantly in the world. Some of you that go to a place of business and work, what happens when people stop working? They start talking. They start being a busybody. We see it all the time, don't we? I'm just a customer. I want to go in and whatever it is I want. Well, sometimes you can't do business with people because they're busybodying. Don't be a busybody. Them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. Now we've looked at two different verses that talked about work and they both mentioned being quiet. So do your work and be quiet. Have a good work ethic. It reflects on you, your family, your church, your Savior, your God. It's important. It makes a difference. In Acts chapter 20, the apostle says, I coveted no one silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. Now Paul, he didn't have to work like he's describing here, but he says he did it, and he did it for a very specific reason. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. You're not supposed to work hard because I think you ought to work hard. You're supposed to work hard because that's what God wants from us. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing right and well. That's just not mom and dad talking. That's a biblical principle. And it's a life skill that has to be learned and practiced. So we've got these eight things. And I said a while ago, I mean, there's dozens more. We need to learn to be forgiving. We need to be thankful. And you could, like I said, you can just go on and on. And these are all life skills that we need to learn. And we need to be practicing. And they're transforming. That's what transforms us from a worldly person with a fleshly perspective to a spiritual person with a spiritual perspective. That's what does it. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
So I just want to do a brief summary. Forgive and move on. Let it go. Or go fix it. Do what you say you will do. I'm still waiting. I mean, my phone may ring any minute from that guy that told me last Monday is going to call me back. It happens constantly, people. If you're not going to call me back, say, I'm not going to call you back. Be honest. Do what you say you will do. And if you're not sure, don't say you'll do it. Be satisfied. Be content with the way God has blessed you. And be thankful. Be sober and responsible. It's not luck. When you see somebody and your perception of that person is they're very successful, it's not luck. They didn't just stumble into having a good marriage. People don't just stumble into having good, responsible kids. It don't just happen. They made some choices along the way. And even the most successful made some poor ones. <laughs> we may not always see them, but they do. It's not luck. Make worship a priority. Be genuine and sincere in everything. And do the right thing. Just do the right thing. We're being consumed right now with people that are takers in our culture. In every way and at every level. Don't be a taker. Be a giver. And we all at times have to be a taker. We do. I get that. But our goal in life should be to be a giver. And that will be the result of us making good decisions. Thank you for your attention this morning. We never want to close without offering the Lord's invitation. It's an opportunity for those that need to be baptized. Or if you're here and you need the prayers of the church for some spiritual challenge in your life, we would ask one or more to come as we stand and sing the invitation.